Andrew said earlier, it is great to be with you this week uh, before Christmas. I don't know if this has happened to anybody else, but I feel like Christmas comes like faster and faster every, does that just continue? Like am I going to wake up, like I'm going to think it's July, like the 4th of July, and then the next day I'm going to wake up and it's going to be Christmas, that was going to happen. I was thinking about it because um, last week was Becca's and my anniversary. We got married on December 10th, and I remember that day feeling like we were in the midst of the Christmas season. Like December 10th was like, yeah, it's Christmas time because we had everything decorated for Christmas, for the wedding and all that stuff. And like this year I'm like, it's the 18th and I don't know what's happening. Like we have decorations up, but it feels like it's here super fast. So I don't know if that's happening for you, but we're excited to celebrate with you. We're glad you're here. We're super excited again about next week. Um, And so one last thing you could do for us this week as we get ready for Christmas at the warehouse is these things are on uh, the chairs around you. They're at the welcome desk. There's extras. If you have this um, and you have somebody you want to give it to, we would love that. The other easy thing you can do is we've made a social post that's, it's a video of me just doing a one minute invite. Uh, we put that on Instagram and it's on Facebook. So if you're on either of those two platforms, please feel free to share that out and just let people know about it. Um, we'd love to interact with people. And we do see this as an outreach, as a connection to people who wouldn't normally come to necessarily church on a Sunday or something like that. We make it a very fun atmosphere, but we also make Jesus very central to the conversation. And so we will, we would love that if you would take some time um, and invite people to that. But you're joining us in week three of a conversation that we've called Twas the Night Before Christmas. And we called it that because we've been looking at the story that comes before the story of Christmas. So lots of times, you know, you do Christmas series and you dive into the New Testament and you look at the Gospels, and we're going to do that a little bit today. But we wanted to look back at all the things that had to happen before Jesus got here. And one of the things that's interesting when we think about this story, right, the beginning of Twas the Night Before Christmas, everything was quiet. And so a ton of work had happened in the Old Testament to set Jesus up, and then everything got quiet for 400 years. God didn't communicate to the Israelites for that long. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. Everything arose such a clatter, right? Everything goes crazy. There's angels, there's shepherds, there's all this stuff. And that launches the platform for what we understand as our faith today, right? Jesus comes, he lives his sinless life, he dies, he rises from the dead, he establishes the church, and that's how we understand the church to be today. So we've been looking back so that we could understand what happened before the story and we could then cherish the story that comes. And so today's conversation is entitled, The God of Promises. We're going to talk a little bit about promises today and what God does and what he has promised and look back at some of that Old Testament promise that he made and kind of understand how we can relate to those characters and what that means for us today. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in Isaiah 7. Okay, so if you go to, if you want to, you can open your Bibles, go to Isaiah 7. Like we always do, you can go to the follow along on our website, mygracefamily.church. You can find all the notes and stuff there. All the verses will be there or they'll be up on the screens. And so we're going to start in Isaiah 7. And we're going to get some information about a guy here named Ahaz, okay? So in, verse, in chapter 7, verses 10 through 11 of Isaiah, this is what it says. Later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Okay, these two verses are very interesting, there's, there's very few times in Scripture where we see anybody get this kind of offer from God. He goes, Ahaz, you, you want to pick a, a sign. You want a sign of confirmation. He says, you choose anything you want. Ask God for anything you want, and he will give it as a sign of affirmation. I mean, how many times when you make a difficult decision in life do you wish you, God would just ask this, right? You could just be like, hey, let, let just make this happen and then fix it, right? Like, just it would be done. This is, this is what Ahaz is offered. 
Now, going on just these two verses, if you're like me, you'd read these verses, and you think, Ahaz must have been a pretty good dude. Like, he must have been really following after God and doing, doing really good things for God if, if this is the kind of offer he gets. Like, God doesn't give this to everybody, so he must have been in good favor with God in order for this to be his offer. But actually, that's not the case. And so what I want to do is we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 16. We're going to get a little bit of background on who Ahaz was and what was kind of going on in his life at this moment. So 2 Kings 16, starting in verse 1, it says this, Ahaz, son of Jotham, began to rule over Judah in the 17th year of King Pekah's reign in Israel. So just to set the stage, right, the nation of Israel at this point is split into two different kingdoms, okay? So you've got the kingdom of Judah and you've got the kingdom of Israel, There's two separate kings in both of those places. So we know Pico was ruling down here in Israel. So now we're looking at Judah. And so Ahaz, the guy that we just read, got this awesome offer from God, takes over being king in the 17th year of King Pico's reign. So go on to verse 2. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of his God as his ancestor David had done. So we get more information, right? He becomes king when he's 20. Rules until he's 36, but he did not do what was right in God's eyes, even though he was an ancestor, or sorry, David was one of his ancestors. So it wasn't like his direct dad or his grandfather was about three to four generations removed, but he's just down the line from David. He understood this. So he gets to reign for a while, but he's not a good king. He doesn't do what God wants him to do, even though he would have had that example in looking back at David. Verse 3 of 2 Kings 16, instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel even sacrificing his own son in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. Now, if you joined us at all for our judges conversation, does this not sound similar? All of a sudden, like, right, they didn't have kings at that time. They had judges. And what would happen is some of the judges were good. But as we went down the line, the judges got worse and worse and worse. And they would continually do the things that the other nations around them were doing. Even though they knew what was right, they knew how to follow God, they knew what he wanted, they decided to follow the people around them. It says even though God had driven them out of the land, they still looked at them and wanted to follow him. And, and he would even do these practices, these terrible practices, so much that he actually sacrificed his own child. So verse 4, he goes on just as he does more, right? He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. So he continues to worship other gods than the God of Israel, than the God he knows to be true. So things shift a little bit in verse 5, and King Ahaz comes into some trouble. It says, Then King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah of Israel came up to attack Jerusalem. They besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. So he gets attacked. They come after Israel. They besiege him, but they don't win. So he's able to kind of keep a foothold, and things are going okay, even though he's under some distress. In verse 6, At that time, the king of Edom recovered the town of Eloth for Edom, lots of E's. He drove out the people of Judah and sent Edomites to live there, as they do to this day. Okay? So he's got two different groups attacking him. One battle is going okay. He's kind of surviving. He's holding on to Jerusalem. That's good because Jerusalem is massively important. But on the other side... Edom recovers the town of Eloth, and the Edomites come in. So he loses on one front while he's kind of holding on on the other front. But you can imagine, as a king, 
trying to figure this out. Like in our context, as, a, as you work or doing whatever you do at home, like you just get these different kind of disasters going on. And you've got to kind of manage what's happening and you're like surviving in one area. And in the other area, you're struggling. This is the stress that Ahaz is under at this time. So Ahaz has to come up with a solution for this. So in verse six, or sorry, in verse seven, it says that King Ahaz sent message, messengers to King TP. I don't know how to say this, so we're going to call him King TP, okay? So he sends a message to King TP of Assyria with this message. I am your servant and your vassal. Come up and rescue me from the attacking armies of Aram and Israel. So he sends message to another king and says, I need your help. Would you come and help fight my battle? And when you help fight my battle, I will become your servant. Now, in the sense of making allegiances, sometimes that's not a bad thing. Sometimes making allegiances and teaming up and working together, sometimes that can be good. But this went to another level. In verse 8, it says this, Then Ahaz took the silver and gold from the temple of the Lord and the palace treasury and sent it as payment to the Assyrian king. So, so let's pause for a minute, right? He's got a big problem. He's got two armies attacking him. He's got to figure it out, right? He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. This is a struggle. And he's only... 20 to 30 seconds, somewhere in there, right? He's not that wise necessarily yet. So he's got to figure this out. So he goes, okay, I'm going to make an allegiance. But he goes and makes an allegiance with somebody he's not supposed to make an allegiance with. And he takes money, the offering, the treasure from God and the temple and gives it to that king. Instead of recognizing that he has God on his side, instead of recognizing that he has a God to call out to, he decides to look to somebody else, a physical ally, someone else on the planet who's a little more powerful than him, and call out and give what belongs to God to that king instead so that the king of Assyria will come and help. In verse 9, it says, So the king of Assyria attacked the Aramean capital of Damascus and led its population away as captives, resettling them in Kerr. He also killed King Rezin. And so... The Assyrian king comes in, he takes the offer, takes the gold, takes the money, says, yeah, you can be my servant. I'll come in with my firepower and we'll take over and we'll fix this problem. This is the kind of person Ahaz was. This was the kind of decisions he would make. And in the midst of some of these decisions that he's making, he gets this offer, right? Let's go back to Isaiah 7 for a minute, verses 10 and 11. Remember this? So later the Lord sent his message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation Ahaz, make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. In the midst of these decisions he's making, God gives him this offer. Pretty incredible, right? Like This was not someone that was following after God, not someone that's making good decisions. And God still comes to him and says, listen, you let me know what you want and I'll, I'll show you that I'm me. He goes on in verse, verse 12. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Now, when you read this verse, if you've been in church for a while, you may have heard the verse, uh, don't put the Lord your God to the test, right? You may have heard that before. And so we might read this verse and kind of think, oh, well, maybe Ahaz is making a good gesture here. Maybe he's recognizing I'm not supposed to put God to the test. This isn't what I'm supposed to do, so I'm not going to do it, right? This is not that. This is actually Ahaz realizing that if he actually gives in, and says to God, no, this is what I want. And then God actually delivers that he actually owes God something. So he says, I don't want to owe God anything. So you know what? I, I don't need your sign. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to stay away. I'll handle it on my own. This is the decision Ahaz makes. Verse 13 is awesome. Okay, it's one of my favorite verses as I studied this. 
So then Isaiah gets involved. Isaiah is the prophet that's having this whole conversation with Ahaz. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Listen well is Bible talk for sit down and shut up. Okay, that's how you should read that. He says this, isn't it enough you to exhaust human patience? He's talking about himself. He's saying, isn't it enough that you've exhausted me? Isn't it enough that you're driving me crazy? That's what he's saying. He says, must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? He goes, you, you're ridiculous, Ahaz. Why would you do this? Like Isaiah gets the fact that he's getting offered this amazing proclamation that God would say, give me a sign and just do it. And he realizes that Ahaz is just going, no, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't trust him. I'm not going to go there. Isn't it enough you, you, to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? So verse 14 goes on. It says, all right, then <laughs> the Lord himself will give you a sign. So he goes, just because you don't want one doesn't mean you're not getting one. Here it comes, right? He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In verses 15 and 16, by the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. He says, you know what? Even though you don't want to sign, I'm going to give you one. You're not going to be around to see it. That's what Ahaz kind of forfeited. He had the opportunity in that moment to see God move, right? He could have just said, here's what I want. And God would have said, here's your sign, right? And we can move on and move forward, and maybe it changes Ahaz's heart. Because he doesn't choose to get the sign, he forfeits the right to see God move. And he goes, God says, you know what? I'll just give the sign, and the people after you will get to see it. He says, I will give, there will be a virgin, and I'll give her a baby. And he'll be born, and he'll be Emmanuel. And God puts that little tag on there at the end of 16 and says, and by the time that child is born, the two kings that you're so worried about won't even be a problem anymore. He goes, your problems that you see today that you're so involved in, the two kings that you're so afraid of, that you would take my treasure and you would go give it to some other king to come and rescue you. He goes, those people, they won't matter anymore. But I'm going to work this plan out. And I'm going to do something that's going to be incredible. And the people that come after you are going to get to experience it, but you're not going to. So this is an interesting situation. Maybe you've heard that verse before. Many of us have heard verse 14, where God gives this prophecy. But understanding the context of that prophecy is pretty interesting. Who it came to, what was going on at the time, and the way that he looks at Ahaz and goes, I'm just going to give this sign even though you don't want one. He gives it to a person that, never, that just literally just said, I want nothing to do with God. And in some ways, you know, a lot of times I think what can happen with people in scripture with these characters we read about is we can kind of look at them and go, I would never be that person, right? I would never make that mistake. I would never do that thing. And with Ahaz, there's some of it, like when you say, like when we realize like he's choosing not to follow God, like if we're all honest with ourselves, we'd probably say there are times where we choose not to follow God. That's true. But then you get down to like, he would actually sacrifice his child. And then you're like, no, it would never do that, right? That's not going to happen. So there's at some level this separation. But what I want us to kind of see is how can we understand some of Ahaz's tendencies in who we are? And looking at these offers, these promises that God makes in the midst of all of this frustration from Ahaz, what do those promises mean for us? And so I have a few things I want to just kind of focus in on today. And the first thing I would say is, uh, don't stare in the mirror so long you forget who's on the throne. Here, here's what I mean by that, right? You woke up this morning, I woke up this morning, you probably looked in a mirror or something like that. 
And, and one of those things happens when you wake up, right? You recognize all the trouble that you have to deal with. And only you and only I are the ones that know the full extent of what we're dealing with. So whether it's a problem at work, right? You've got to figure that out. It's a problem at school. It's a problem with your marriage. It's a problem like your bank account's struggling. You've got problems. You've got to figure out what your job's going to be next year, right? There's all those kinds of things. And, and when we get up and we kind of figure that out and we process that and we, if we stare into those things so long, we only see our problems. If we stare into those things too long and all we see is where our problems, sometimes the tendency is to forget who's in control of it all. And what Ahaz did in this moment was he saw the problems that were very, very real. He had two armies, more, multiple nations coming against him, trying to win battles, and he had to figure out how to fight them off and survive. Not small problems to have. But he was so focused on his problems and his idea of what should be done, what needed to be done, that he forgot who was actually in control, so much so that he would take God's treasure and give it to another king. And I'm not discounting any problems you might have. I'm just saying, sometimes when we focus only on the problem, we forget who's in control. And we forget to hand that over to God and say, I understand you're in control. You can do this better than me. You understand it. You can control all that I see. And so at some level, I'm going to hand it over to you. doesn't mean we don't do anything about it, right? We all understand that. It's not healthy to just go, well, I'm not going to deal with this. I'll let God deal with it. No, that's not it. You're engaged, you're processing, you're figuring it out, but you're allowing God to have an influence in what you do. And so I, I don't know what the problems are, right? We could all go around the room, we're not going to. We could all go around the room and go, what are your top three problems, right? Everybody's got a list. You figure it out. How is God influencing those problems in your heart? Have you processed that with him? Or are we so focused on what we have to do and trying to figure it out that we haven't considered who's in control of it all anyway? Here's the second thing I would say. We are consumed with today, and God is already finished with tomorrow. You know, there's other scripture, right, talks about don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself, right? You've got enough to figure out today. And when you think about that, the only thing that we can control is what we do today. Right now, we can control what we do today. You can look back and go, I regret that, or that wasn't a good decision, or what I did in the past wasn't good, Right? We can't change the past, so you can't do anything about that. You can plan for the future, but we all know, like, you plan far enough ahead in the future, you can make some good moves and do some right stuff. We don't know exactly what the future is going to look like. And so if we do that, if we're so focused on the future, we forget what's happening now. The best thing we can possibly do is make the right decisions today. And when we make the right decisions today, that influences the decisions we'll make in the place we end up in the future. So what should Ahaz have done? God comes to him and says, I'll give you a sign. Ahaz's, what, Ahaz's consideration was, I don't want to trust you for tomorrow. I don't, if I give in to this, I, I don't want to owe you later. And so I'm not going to go there. When really what he was forgetting is that God has already finished with tomorrow. He's finished with next month. He knows what's coming. Why wouldn't we put our trouble in his hands? Why wouldn't we include him in what we can do and allow him to influence it? So we worry about today, but God's got tomorrow. So we can do what's right today, but we have to allow God to be the one who works it out in the future. Here's the third thing. 
God is with us, this Emmanuel conversation means God is for you. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, here's what we talked about. I'll fill you in if you weren't here. We went all the way back to the garden. First conversation into us the night before Christmas, we went all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and we talked about how everything was perfect, right? There was perfect harmony between God and man. Adam and Eve exist in the garden. They're good to go. They walk and talk with God, and their, their relationship is completely harmonious. There is no death. There's no evil. There's no sin. There's no sickness. There's none of it, right? Everything is perfect. And then Adam and Eve decide that they want to know better than God. They want to know what God knows. They want to be like him. And so they make that decision that ruins the harmony. And what God ultimately has to do is he has to kick them out of the garden. Why? Because in their sinful state, if they ate the fruit of the tree of life, they would have been stuck in that sinful state. And this plan that God has moving forward won't, won't be as he's wanting it to be because the humans will stick themselves in a sinless state and we would be stuck in a sinless state forever. So he kicks them out. And when he kicks them out of the garden, their relationship is different. There is no more God with us. There is God in the temple and us out here. And there was that curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from everybody else because God existed there and not where they were. He would talk to them. He would influence them. Certain people even got to be almost face-to-face with him, but he, his presence was not just in and about them like it would have been in the garden. It is not a small thing for the Israelites to hear the phrase, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Because Jesus in the flesh, for the first time, meant humans had access, free access, to interact with God for the first time since the garden. You think about the life that Jesus lived, right? Rich people got to have access to him. Poor people got to have access to him. Old people got to have access to him. Young people got to have access to him. Sick people got to have access to him. Well people got to have access to him. Right? You can look at all the stories of all the people that could just walk up to Jesus and they could just ask a question. They could, have, they could be fed by Jesus. They could sit with Jesus. They could reach out and touch his cloak. They could, all the things, right? They just had free, it was the first time ever. Why? And why would Jesus do that? Because Emmanuel means God is for us. If God is not for us, he would have left us in the garden. He would have said, just stay there. Or he would have kicked us out and said, you're on your own now, right? You made the decision. You now get the consequences. But instead, God says, no, I, I'm going to come back. And even as we, as we look at this story of Ahaz, it's like even though you don't even want it, right? You don't even care. I'm still going to come back and be for you and want you to understand who I am. Now, one of the cool things, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1 here in a second. One of the cool things in Matthew that we often skip over, there's a genealogy right? It tracks everything down, and it shows you how we get to Jesus. You know who's included in the genealogy? Ahaz. Isn't that cool? Even though he was a punk, for lack of a better word, right? Bad decisions, stupid things, he still gets to be included in the lineage of Jesus, when we look at ourselves and we go, I am not good enough, right? I do wrong things all the time. It is still God's joy to say, I'm going to include you in my story. I'm going to allow you to be part of it. And Ahaz still got that. 
And later down in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, all right, this is the part of the Christmas story we normally talk about. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, much different than Ahaz, and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In verses 22 and 23, it says, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see all of this all the way down, right? To Matthew writing this book to us. He says, this is why we get that message. And, and here's what I would say, right? Last thing that I would want us to walk away with is that God always keeps his promises. Even to Ahaz, thousands of years before, doesn't even want the sign, doesn't even care, just wants God to leave him alone. God says, I'm going to make a promise anyway. And I'm going to keep it, even though you don't care. And God does this. If we, if we had a whole college semester, right, I could walk us through all the promises God has ever made. And all the ways that they've all come, the ones that have come true have come true so far. And the ones that will come true eventually are the track that we're on together, right? We could spend a ton of time on that. We don't have all the time. But there are promises throughout Scripture from the Old Testament that God just shows up and goes, see how I'm willing to keep my promises? See how I'm willing to make sure that you understand who I am? He doesn't owe us anything, nothing. He's just God. And he says, I'll, I'll make sure I show you. I'll show you who I am. I know you don't trust me. I'm going to show you. And later, in John 16, Jesus says this, right? I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And again, we think about this largely in our New Testament context. But he was saying this to the disciples. And if you think about what they knew as they were processing this, it took such a greater gravity. Because he says, right, I've told you this so that you may have peace. We talk about peace at Christmas, right? Peace on earth. That's the goal. And Jesus says, I've told you this so that you would have peace. Why? Because the disciples knew what, is, what Isaiah was told. The disciples knew who Ahaz was. And so when they hear this, they go, yeah, like that, there was that promise. And then they get to see Jesus in the flesh. Like they know the promise and then they get to live and breathe and eat and hang out and live with the promise. And then they get to watch him die and come back to life. He says, you take heart because I've overcome the world. This promise that was made thousands of years ago shows up as a result of, the, of God kicking Adam and Eve out of Eden so that he could come back and rescue them. And then he's here on earth in the flesh. He's overcome it. He says, you have peace 
because you know who I am and you know what I've experienced. This is what Ahaz should have done, right? Ahaz should have understood that God was for him, that God wanted to help him, that God was there and wanting to engage in the problems he had. And if Ahaz had just turned it over to God and allowed God to do the work that God promised to do, it would have been much different. Instead, Ahaz said, no, I, I don't want anything to do with it. And here, here's the trap I think we can fall into sometimes. I think at times, we, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, or we say we're a Christian, or however you want to say it, right? We do that out of a motivation that's not necessarily for today. We do that out of a motivation that is for the future, right? So, so we think about it, and we go, okay, like, in this world, like, it's hard, it's difficult, but at some level, I think many of us think we can handle kind of what comes here, right? Like, we can figure it out. Like, at, at worst, you know, you have a conversation with yourself, you're like, ah, eh, bank account's not doing so good, I can go drive for Uber Eats, right? I can do stuff and kind of handle my problems. But the trust that we have in Jesus, sometimes when we do that, is we set it aside and we go, when I die and I enter a place I can't control, and I enter a place I don't understand, and I enter a place, that's when the trust in Jesus has to come in. And here's what I would say to that, is that eternal trust in Jesus matters in this life just as much as the next. That when we take our trust in Jesus and we say, I'm going to set it aside for later, when I enter the space and time I don't understand, and we don't trust him here, we have a false understanding of our relationship with Jesus. That when we trust Jesus and we say, I'm going to trust you for my eternity, that starts today and goes into eternity. It doesn't start later. Here's why I think this is so very important. Because you can't worship a king you don't trust. You can't worship a king you don't trust. And we would understand on earth, we don't worship kings. We don't worship queens. And even if sometime, somebody came in and was really important, like, like, let's just imagine the president walked in. Like, even if you don't like the president, okay? If they walked up and were, like, going to shake your hand, you'd probably still shake their hand and be like, hey, nice to meet you, right? You'd, like, at least show some sort of respect. Doesn't mean you trust him. You're not worshiping him. But if we're going to worship Jesus, if we're going to come in and we're going to sing the songs, and we're going to show up, we're going to go to church, and we're going to serve, and we're going to do all the things but we don't trust him, we're not really worshiping him. Ahaz didn't worship God, he worshiped other gods. And all his trust was in other gods. He would take his time, he would take his treasure, he would take his allegiance and give it to somebody else. He did not worship the king. What we have to do is we have to trust God if we're truly going to worship him. And that's a daily decision. Am I going to trust God with the problems I have? Am I going to trust him to do what he promised to do? Or am I going to depend on what I have? And so here's the question I want to leave us with today, right? What fear or insecurity or control do I need to lay at the feet of Jesus? This season is all about for followers of Jesus, it's celebrating the gift of God's Son to us, right? And we can celebrate that, but I also know that this season, or just life in general right now, fear and insecurity and control are all things we all struggle with. 
But if we go back to that verse where Jesus says, I've overcome the world, I think he understood all of these things. Now, you want to think about fear? We could look at Jesus and be like, ah, he didn't fear anything. The Garden of Gethsemane says differently. He was afraid. He knew the pain that was coming. He did not want to go there. But he was willing to. Insecurity. Do you ever second guess himself? I think when he was tempted and Satan comes and says, I'll give you all of this stuff if you just follow me. He was playing on Jesus' possible insecurity. What about control? Think about this. The God of the universe handed himself to a human as a baby. He had to give up complete control. He says, I know what it's like to give up control. I know what it's like to give up fear. I know what it's like to give up insecurity. Hand it to me. I get it. And we will have that relationship that the harmony is restored. You trust me. You worship me. Why? Because I made the promise and I was willing to come back for you even though you chose to go against me. And we continue to choose to go against him. So I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. I don't know what it is for you. But what are the things that we hold on to so desperately? We, we stare into them and we forget who's on the throne. We worry about them today even though Jesus has already finished tomorrow. Even though he's made these promises, we, we hold on to them to try and fix them ourselves. And Jesus just says, I came to fulfill all these promises and to live a life as a human so that you will know I get you. I understand you. And I'm here to walk alongside you. Listen, when we keep our problems from Jesus, we can't, we can't worship him. I mean, we can. We can sing the songs. We're not fully worshiping him because we haven't given him everything. So I'll be really cheesy, right, with the Christmas season. Hand Jesus those things. You don't have to gift wrap them or anything, right, but just give them to him. Let him deal with them. Do what you need to do. Take the process, the steps that you have to take. But hand over that stuff to Jesus. And lay them there and just worship. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have uh, the worship team come back up. And I, I want to I practice this. Like We're not going to do anything weird, but I want you to process this in real time. Okay? As I'm talking, if there's something that's like, there's something I'm holding on to that I just need to lay at the feet of Jesus. We're going to sing one more song. And I, like I said, you don't need to do anything physically different, but process that moment. Think about it and have a conversation with Jesus and say, I'm going to lay this at your feet and I don't need control of it anymore. I'm going to allow you to take care of it because you're, you can take care of it far better than I can. And I'm going to do what I need to do, but you, you take it, you influence it, you work through me in this moment. So let's pray, process that. We'll sing our last song and we'll wrap for this morning. God, we are so grateful for stories of, of people, even like Ahaz, that didn't do everything right. If the, if the Bible was full of characters who did everything right, we would feel very, very lost. But in fact, we get to see that even the people that didn't do everything right, they get to be part of your story. And God, I ask that you would help us to just, if there's some problem, if there's some drama, if there's something that we're holding on to that we're struggling with, I, I just ask that we would hand it over and lay it at your feet. 
we would do what we need to do with it, but we would just allow you to work and to trust you completely. And I ask that even during this last song that we would lay that thing at your feet, trust you completely and worship you fully. As we go through this week, that we would remember that we have handed over to you and you keep your promises to us. You can handle whatever comes our way and your way. You're never surprised by any of it. In Jesus' name.